Church, this morning, will you stand with us as we sing verse 3 together? You can be seated. If you, uh, if you need message notes, the ushers have them, and you can, uh, you can grab a hold of those. They, uh, just raise your hand, and they will uh, provide you with a pen and, and a little paper. Um, you know, we're, <laughs> we're in this series where we're simply calling it carols, and I, 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 I kind of like it because it, it reminds us of all the good memories of Christmas. And I love Christmas. Like, like to me... Christmas is like this time of year when there's so many good things. I love the music. I love the trees. I, I, lo I love the candy canes. I love the parties. I love the presents. I love pumpkin spice lattes. I, I, I love the lights, right? All the lights. Now, you know, there's, every neighborhood has that one guy. You know that one guy who does the lights? The Clark Griswold of the neighborhood. And... And my kids, they so want me to be that guy. <laughs> Every year we kind of like, oh, can we do it? And it's like, I, I'm, just, I'm just not that guy. They want me to be that guy so bad. One time I was trying to do it. I climbed up on the roof and just about killed myself. <laughs> so <laughs> there's this thing about Christmas that is so beautiful. We have to enter into it. And this year we're investigating these carols as a way to enter that nativity scene and, and see who Jesus really is. And, and, and really, the reality is, these carols are not theological treatises, but they do paint a picture for us, powerful moments of truth if we'll just pay attention. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about O Come, All Ye Faithful this morning. It was written by John Francis Wade. In the eight, he was an 18th century hymn writer. And um, it was originally written in Latin and called Adeste Fidelis. It was translated into English in 1841 by Frederick Oakley, and it began with this exciting, if not slightly intimidating line, O come all ye faithful, joyful, and triumphant. <laughs> the reason it's a little intimidating to me is because that doesn't always describe me. 
especially during Christmas season, many people feel like they can't measure up to being faithful or joyful or triumphant. In fact, many of us, we feel defeated, depressed, doubtful. That'd make a great song, wouldn't it? Oh, come all defeated, depressed, and the doubtful. <laughs> but, but it's true, there are days when I don't necessarily feel like I'm faithful. I love God, but sometimes I just mess everything up. My devotional times get interrupted and are few and far between. I feel like he called me to do something, and then I lose my nerve. I've just lived a lot of life. And so I've had enough experience that I'm sobered. Sometimes I have doubts. There are plenty of days where I, I don't feel joyful. Have you ever told a joke in a crowd and, like, nobody laughs? Sadly, it's been my experience more than once. <laughs> but that feeling you have when nobody laughs, that's the feeling of a day where you just can't find joy. It's the worst. Some of us live with that kind of feeling all the time. You, you know when you really lose your joy? <laughs> Christmas shopping. <laughs> you ever have this experience? I actually kind of like shopping. Like, like my wife and I, she, it's actually her birthday today. <laughs> Kim Swaffer's birthday as well, but I don't get as many perks as if I highlight my wife. So, so we usually go shopping on her birthday. She's 29, by the way. And, and I actually, I love shopping with her. It's just kind of fun, but... Somehow the crowds around Christmas time are unbearable. I don't know what it is, but when I have to pick two checkout lines, I pick the wrong one every time. What is this? I end up in a line where the list lady's writing a check. <laughs> Who does that? <laughs> it's like I've got a guy using 15 coupons right in front of me. <laughs> Or I have that one family that they, they showed up and one thing that they brought doesn't have a little tag. They turn that little light on. Mm, that's the cursed light. My joy is gone. These are sort of silly examples. But for some of us, there really is this sense, especially during the Christmas season, where we just feel more wearisome. Our finances are in trouble this month, or you know, our, our job is coming to an end, or our relationships seem burdened and broken. There, there's just not much joy to be found sometimes. Maybe it's just that you don't feel very triumphant. <laughs> That's not a word we use very much, is it? It's like, <laughs> who, who feels triumphant? Like we're, you're walking around... <laughs> We triumphed in that basketball game. <laughs> or uh, I triumphed on that work project, huh? No. No, your coworkers will think you're a weirdo. Maybe you've been married for 20 years and you figured it would be different by now. Maybe you thought your career was going to take off and that hasn't happened. Maybe 
your relationship with your kids hasn't worked out the way you thought it would and now you're separated. Maybe you forget who you really are, that Jesus loves you. Maybe, maybe you just feel defeated. This carol that we just sang, it gives out a call, like it's calling people, oh, come all ye faithful. It reminds me that through the scriptures, God calls people. He calls out and he beckons us to come. But who does he call? Who is he calling? It may not be who you think. There's good news for all of us that feel depressed and defeated and doubtful today because Jesus calls the weary and the burdened. He calls the weary and the burdened. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This is Jesus speaking. Matthew records it that Jesus said, Take my yoke upon you. I think it's fascinating that Jesus used the term, used a picture, a word picture of a yoke. A yoke is something you would put on oxen and they would tread the ground. They would pull for, for planting seeds and they, it, would, it would turn the soil over and over again. They would pull this thing and it was hard work. Jesus uses this picture. He says, take my yoke, my yoke upon you and learn from me. And then what, look what he says, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find, what does it say there? Rest. Hard to find rest in our culture, isn't it? I think there's a increase in noise canceling headphones right now, they're everywhere. People are trying to shut out all the noise. It's hard to find rest for your soul. Verse 30 says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light this is interesting he says my yoke is easy in other words the way i work is different than the way you work the way you work really hard i want you to learn the ways that i work in the way you live in the way you think in the way you understand me and my involvement in your life. Jesus is saying, I want you to work the way I work. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And then he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Every one of us have burdens that we accumulate and we carry them around. And what Jesus is saying is, I want to exchange my burden for your burden. Why don't you give me your burden because it's too heavy for you. And why don't you take my burden because it's light. Jesus calls us. Jesus didn't say, come to me, all you who have it all together. He didn't say, come to me, all who live in the insta-worthy life. Insta-worthy for some of you over 50. That is Instagram. He said, if you're weary, if you're heavy burdened, you're who I want. If you'll come to me, I'll relieve you, I'll give you rest. This is good news for us, everybody. But those aren't the only ones he calls. Jesus calls sinners. Jesus calls sinners. Matthew 9, 12 through 13, he says, When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? We don't really get the punch of that passage because we don't really understand how looked down upon tax collectors were. Jewish people who had gone to the other side and worked 
for the government and collected the taxes. Tax collectors and sinners, on hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Romans 5a says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, you don't have to clean up yourself, clean yourself up, get everything fixed before you come to Jesus. He already gave his life for you and did it while you were still a mess. Well, you still are a mess. He did it on the chance that you would choose him and let him help you clean yourself up. Jesus calls us to come, but he doesn't want us to stay the way we came. He calls us to come, but he doesn't want us to stay the way we came. Luke 9, 23, he, Jesus says again, he said, to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. There's another fun rewrite of the song. <laughs> oh, come all ye sinners, weary and ye burdened. But that's not what he's saying exactly. Like, the good news is Jesus bids us to come, but he doesn't leave us there. He calls us in our weary and burdened state to come to him, but then he says, I have a better plan for you. You've tried everything and nothing has worked. Let me help you. Let me help you clean up your life. If you'll just do it, something beautiful will really happen. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. Jesus wants to bring the new. Do you notice how at Christmas time, everybody wants the new? <laughs> Everything, like all my kids, worn out old toys. They're all practically as good as they were last year. They just want new stuff. Here's the truth. Every human, it's an innate desire to have the new. There's a longing to be made new. Jesus is the only one who can fill that. Jesus is the only one who can make that happen. He doesn't leave us where we are. So many people feel like they have to become someone that they're not. Not true. Jesus doesn't ask you to become someone that you can't become. He gets rid of the old and makes something new. He forgives sins and mistakes and wipes them away. He forgets the past and he settles our yesterdays. Like this is the gospel. But so many of you are still living in the past. It still, it still percolates in your, in your mind. And the committee, you guys have a committee in your head? I have a committee in my head. And it tries to remind me of everything that's in the past that defines my life that I'll never get away from, that I'll never be able to overcome. It's a lie. Jesus takes those lies. He puts his spirit in you to make you someone new. But what does he help us become? Where does he take us? There are so many answers to that. Like we could have 20 sermons on that subject, right? But here's a start. As you think about this carol, oh come all ye faithful. Number one, Jesus is the one who makes us faithful. Jesus makes us faithful. So many followers of Jesus live out of their head instead of out of their faith. They're living ever, all their life between their ears. We live out of our intellect, our experience, our knowledge instead of faith, which comes from somewhere deep within the new thing that God's created in you, the Holy Spirit, his work in your life. You can't live out of what's between your ears. You can't just 
live trusting your heart either. Because your heart, the Bible says, can be a place of real wickedness. You don't even know how wicked it is. The Bible describes this, that your heart is in need of regeneration. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, he says, For we live by faith, not by sight. We don't live by everything we see. We live by faith. God has invited you into an amazing and adventurous life that requires faith. It requires risk. It's a life lived outside of the comfort zones of our own experience. It's, it's lived in the place where risk meets faith and love meets courage. Some of you are having trouble with your life with God because there's no risk taking. You're not putting yourself out there. You're not trying to love people who are unlovely. You're not taking a, a risk in your life that requires faith. This is what we want to live out our days on earth. This is what God wants for us. But what if we don't feel faithful, you might ask? What if we don't feel at all faithful? What if I feel faithless? What if I've tried and it's just not working? Well, check out the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us, notice verse two, underline it, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I, I want to submit to you that this faith that we're living out, Christianity at its core, is not a belief system. It is not about a book. It's not even about an experience. I submit to you today, it is about a person. A person a central character in the story of the scriptures. His name is Jesus. That's what the gospel is about. That's what our faith is about. We put our faith in a person. So here I have a, qu I have a question to ask you. What is your gaze set on? What do you spend your time looking at? What are you focusing on? Can you only see the problems? Can you only see is your view just marred by all the things that seem insurmountable? The author says, fix your eyes somewhere else. So often we're just blinded by all the stuff, all the craziness. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He's the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. He's the one that gives it. It comes from him. He's the one that completes it in you. If you let him, it, there isn't, this isn't anything you can do on your own for yourself. You can't gut this out as a Christian. It's never going to work. You have to have a miracle happen inside of you. Look at what Romans says, 10, 17. Paul said, he says it perfectly. He says, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. In other words, what Jesus did. I love how Eugene Peterson phrased it in the message. Check this out. He says, the point is, before you trust, you have to listen. But unless Christ's word is preached, there's nothing to listen to. Last week, I talked about how sometimes you've got to be the best preacher you know. And you've got to preach to yourself. Before you trust, before you, you put your faith in him, you have to hear. You have to really get what the good news is. And when you hear it, something happens. 
This person, what are you looking at? Are you looking at all your problems? What are you listening to? Are you just listening to the negative? Or are you fixing your eyes on Jesus? Are you, are you, are you reading the Bible daily? See, I just can't help myself. The daily Bible reading is such a great practice. It's such a great practice for every one of us. And you think, well, I can't understand it all. Actually, as you repeat, as you read it over and over again, if you can't, nobody can get it all the first time. Hello? It, it's, it's such a great story. It has so many layers and nuances. It's so rich. You just got to read it over and over again, and it gets in there a little bit at a time. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Listen to the truth of who he is. I, sometime, there, I went through a year where I was super discouraged in the life of the church, and I remember that year I had, to, I, 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 I had all these thoughts that would just come against me, and I, I remember for a whole year I would wake up in the morning and I would just reach over and grab my phone, because that's what we all do now, and I would go to my daily Bible reading and I'd turn on the, the guy who reads it. Because, you know, right when you wake up, like, I can't see. I don't know. Can you see? It's like, my, as older I get, it's like, what, I, what is happening to me? There's something there. I can't see anything. And so I, would t- I, I was so discouraged. I knew that the first thing I had to hear every day before I got my mind moving, before I read my emails, before I did anything else, before I looked at the news, be- people, the news. <laughs> Many, many Christians in America are being discipled by cable news channels. Stop it. You got to fix your eyes on something else. I remember I, I woke up every morning. The first thing I did, I'd turn on that guy reading the Bible. This year, I'm listening to uh, Pastor Nikki Gumbel from Holy Trinity Brompton in London because who doesn't love listening to a British man read the Bible? Look at what Hebrews 11:6 6 says, and without faith it is impossible. Everybody say impossible. impossible. If you don't have some kind of faith stirring up within you, if you don't allow Jesus to put something there, if you won't acknowledge that he's working on something new, if you won't live out of the, if you only live out of this noggin you got on the top of your body, <laughs> you're going to be in trouble. He says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards. Exists, you could say, he is who he says he is. You have to believe that he is who he says he is and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And the only problem with the rewards is they take time. <laughs> you got to believe that they're coming. That's what faith is. Why is, it, why is it impossible to please God without faith? Because there's no dependence. There's no reliance. There's no risk. There's no trust. All that's left is human knowledge, expertise, strategy, works, religion, skills. Skills. So many people just try and rely on themselves. Even you, as a Christian, as a person of faith, you tend to rely on yourself. And it becomes miserable. Or, on the flip side, if you're really successful, it becomes arrogant. It's dangerous either way. So faith is believing that God is who he says he is and that he rewards those who pursue him. Faith is both. If you feel faithless today, Jesus can make you faithful. Number two, Jesus makes us joyful. Jesus 
makes us joyful. We like to tie our emotional stability to a lot of different things in life, don't we? Family, career, money, because everybody wants happiness and joy, and so we're trying to fill our lives. Thomas Jefferson wrote in our founding documents, he described an inalienable right given by God, the pursuit of happiness. It's not as elusive as people tend to think. Look at Luke 2, verse 8 through 12. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. I want you to read that sentence, underline it in the middle of that verse. I bring you good news. Everybody say good news. That will cause great joy. Say great joy. Great joy. Good news, it will cause great joy. Not just any kind of joy, but great joy because Jesus and joy go together. The gospel is by nature good news. I, I know sometimes we make it seem like bad news. I know sometimes it feels like threatening news. Sometimes it's, it's you didn't do it right news. <laughs> sometimes it feels like you're such a loser and you're never going to make it news. None of those are true. Those are all lies. The gospel is great news and it brings great joy. You can't separate joy from the gospel. The answer to your happiness problem is Jesus. The answer to your happiness problem is the good news of Jesus. Most of our pictures of Jesus don't portray him as happy. Have you ever noticed that? He's like serious and holy, like everything, all these pictures of Jesus. It's like, what, what is that? It's, uh, I want you to, I want you to see, we kind of see God in the form of Jesus himself, but he's super serious and he's kind of floating around from town to town dealing with serious things and dealing with people. I don't think he was like that at all. I think he was happy. There's a picture that I really love. It's come to be known as the Laughing Jesus. It was painted by Willis Wheatley. Willis Wheatley, he painted this picture, and it's just Jesus. He's just kind of laughing, like kind of leaning back in a huge guffaw. You don't usually think of Jesus and guffaw. You know what a guffaw, some of you are like, what's a guffaw? It's like, it's like when you laugh and you slap your hands on the table. <laughs> Some of you can't see Jesus like that, but you need to, because that's who he was. That's who he is. You say, but God wants us to be holy, not happy. Okay, yeah, I think, I think it's true. His goal for us is holiness. It's following him, but, but it's not one at the expense of the other. He's big enough to have both. <laughs> He, he's powerful enough for joy and holiness to go together. 
Some people love to talk about Jesus, but they don't smile. People, enjoy yourself. <laughs> Chill out. Don't let all the stuff that's going on around you dominate your emotional state. Think about what you're feeding yourself. Think about what God wants to put inside you. Some Bible scholars are the meanest people alive. They know a lot about the Bible, but they're, they, they're so mean. We wonder why people don't want anything to do with our message is because of the meanness, of the seriousness. Joy is a byproduct of God's work in your life. It's a byproduct. It's a thing that works its way into you as you serve him, as you love him, as he loves you, as he, as he serves you. Last night, we had a graduation for Catalyst 3 members. 86 people graduated from 15 months, three Catalyst semesters of investment in each other, in their small group, in their own personal lives. And you could see there was a joy as they began to look back at what God has done in their lives. Well, I'm too busy to do that, Pastor Russ. I don't know. I just don't have time for that. <laughs> well, you might not have time for joy then. <laughs> See, you got to, by faith, find your way to letting Jesus take your focus because he wants to make you joyful. He wants to give you joy. Well, I'm so overwhelmed. Listen, I understand but there is something that's inside of you and sometimes you have to take a hold of that. Galatians 5.22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And Paul's saying here that it's not about law. It's not about doing right and wrong. Fruit, fruit is an interesting thing. It's an apple tree that produces apples because it's an apple tree. It doesn't have to work really hard and squeeze out the apples. That was a kind of a gross example. But <laughs> joy can be kind of like this. Your joy comes from a right relationship with God. It's not something you manufacture. It's not like a fake happiness that you put on when you come through those doors. That's not what we're talking about. It's not something you squeeze out and make yourself, well, how are you doing today, brother? Well, I'm blessed. Okay, you are blessed. That's accurate. But don't fake it. Don't wear the mask. Be honest, share with a small group of people where you're known and loved. Be vulnerable and watch Jesus begin to work as you put your trust in him, as you put your faith in him and watch how he begins to make you joyful. Nehemiah 8.10 says, don't be dejected and sad for the joy of the Lord is your strength. If you're weary and depressed, you don't need to work out more. Well, you still need to work out, but you don't need to work out more. You need Jesus. Turn off, the, turn off the TV. Your strength is connected to joy, and our joy is connected to Jesus. It's normal to mistrust what seems too good to be true, isn't it? If it sounds too good to be true, then it probably is. But everybody, here's the problem. Jesus is too good to be true. Like it feels like salvation is too good to be, like grace is too good to be true, like heaven is too good to be true. And this is really the challenge is faith says, no, it's not. This is the only goodness that there is in the world. You, 
can't live out of your head and be joyful. You can't rely solely on knowledge or skill or expertise and believe something good. Something is too good to be true. You have to surrender your self-reliance and embrace innocence and simplicity and faith. Don't leave her trying to pretend. I don't want you to pretend. I don't want fake selfies all over. Just living in the joy. I don't want, I don't want that. But I want a state of being. I, I want to live in a state of being where joy can be found, not a passing emotion. No doubt about it. Happiness and joy are different. Happiness depends on happenings. Joy depends on Jesus. I may not like what's happening right now. And I'm, I may not be happy. But I still have joy because joy comes from Jesus. Number three, Jesus makes us triumphant. But what if that's not me, you say? What if I feel totally defeated? Sometimes you need someone else in your life to help you win. I have a vivid memory of being on the bus stop at seven years old. And our house was kind of across uh, the street, just down a little ways, and you could see the bus stop from our front window, our front living room window. And I was, it was a cold and wintry day. It had snow on the ground. It was wearing a big coat. And some kids at the bus stop started picking on me. And I found myself on the ground with a guy, with a guy hitting me. And I have a vivid memory of that kid suddenly levitating. I'm not kidding. I was, de- I, I was trapped. I was a skinny, scrawny kid. And, and I couldn't defend myself. And he was there. He was, he was like, and this kid started levitating because my dad had reached down and pulled him off me. And he pulled him off me and sat him up straight and said, you, got, you boys need to stop this and blah, 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 blah. And my dad defended me and rescued me from a bloody nose. I was like, Dad, can you come with me on the bus? <laughs> Much of the time, we don't realize who it is that has our back. As a reminder, <laughs> it's the true, the one, the true, the living God. It's the creator of everything, the alpha and omega, the first and the last, the all-seeing, the all-knowing, all-powerful God. Hundreds of years before his birth, Isaiah records a prophecy about him. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. That's pretty triumphant. He's prophesying about baby Jesus born in the manger. We look at this nativity scene, we see all the cute little figures. We see the precious little glowing baby. Make no mistake, the little baby is the king of kings and the lord of lords. The prince of peace, the author of faith, the perfecter of our faith, the one who spoke everything into existence, the one who is the bread of life, the salvation of our souls, the lifter of our head. And the song says he is born the king of angels. So come, let us adore him. He is Christ the Lord. That's pretty triumphant. I want you to close your eyes and just bow your head. Okay, I'll give you the last fill in the blank. <laughs> I ask you to bow your heads and you're everybody like, watch this, watch this, 
Maybe the Holy Spirit wants to do something else right now. You have one more, right? We don't come to him because we are these things. We come, we can come because he is all of these things. We don't come to him because we are these things. We come because he is. Now you've led me into it. I have to share the last scripture. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Sometimes I think we put the wrong, <laughs> we put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. <laughs> We're like, I can do all things through Christ. It strengthens me. The emphasis is in the wrong place. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now close your eyes. Bow your head. We're going to come to the Lord's table. But before we do, I just want you to allow for him to speak to you. I'm so aware that this season sometimes brings out the worst for us. I'm so aware that there are people who are hurting and you really are depressed and that you really are defeated. You can't seem to escape it. You can't seem to get out of it. I promise you this table, this, the Lord's table, is a table of provision for you. It represents the good news of Jesus because Jesus came and gave his body. It, it was broken for you and me to be healed. It, it, the cup represents his spilled blood that is for the forgiveness of sins. If I could encourage you today to come and to lay all your burdens at this table, to exchange your burdens for his burdens, to receive what is light and easy versus what is so hard and so overwhelming. He's here today. He's here. He's at this table. And as you take that bread and as you dip it in that cup and as you, as you acknowledge that this is who Jesus is, he gave his life and resurrection life and joy is, a, is available, that his faithfulness is all you need to walk in faith and that he is triumphant and he's making you triumphant. He's making you an overcomer. Come and receive that. Father, we pray over this communion, this holy interaction between you and us. And we use the bread and the cup as illustrations, as symbols, but I pray that you would come alive in us, that the revelation of who you really are, that, our, that each of us would come to this table with an expectation and an expectation, that faith is that you are making all things new today. Do a miracle in our hearts today. Help us to be faithful. Help us by putting joy in our hearts. and Help us to know that we are being made triumphant. In Jesus' name.